Hello guys, David Bose here. Well, it's another beautiful day. Actually going to get up pretty warm today up into the high 50s. And I guess that's kind of the same kind of weather pattern the whole country's been going through. There's really cold temperatures up north. And so I guess that's why we were having kind of cold weather down here. Um, And then now it's just going to like within just a few hours, going to go right back up to like high 50. So I imagine you guys in the northern climates are probably going to get a little warmer today too, from what I've heard too. So hope you're having a wonderful day and hopefully you will have here after this warms up. Well, I did that video yesterday um, about witnesses and stuff. Some of you probably watched it and there, there's a a, a person that I guess I won't name her, but if you watch my videos, you'll know who it is. And you could probably go back and find out. So I'm not trying to, I, I, I don't, I'm not, certainly not trying to publicly shame anybody or anything like that. Because this is, this woman has a genuine belief. And I do believe she's not lying about her beliefs. She's not. She's not just trying to pick on me, but she probably genuinely believes what she is saying. And, and so there's no, um, you know, there's no foul in presenting your, your side of the story. But yet it's always odd for the other side. You know, um, I remember when I was Jehovah's Witness. I was going out in the field service one day and I was with other Jehovah's Witnesses. So I really couldn't be myself completely because you're going from door to door and you got somebody right next to you. So if somebody were to just lay something on you while you're out in field ministry, as they call it, and show you directly that your teachings are wrong or put a doubt in, you know, put a a bit of a bump in your skip and you're like wait a minute and, and you know you might want to stop and, and look at it or say well I see what you're saying there let me take a look at that or I'll get back to you or something like that but here you got some other elder or something watching everything you do they're like training you and 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 you're not allowed to say certain things and this guy was ready for us when we came to his door obviously he knew a little bit about what Jehovah's Witnesses teach one of the things Job's Witnesses do teach is that there is no hell at all. I mean, literally, it's not even symbolic of some place. They don't believe in hell. They don't believe in life after death. So when you die, according to Jehovah's Witnesses, you're gone. Like a wisp of smoke that went up into the air and you're gone. There's nothing left. I always found that to be very disheartening as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. Not, you know, not the part about what other Christians believe about. I mean, I suppose that would have been disheartening too, to think or believe that bad people were tortured in flames of fire. That That's a serious, uh, it, that didn't make sense to me. But the way Jehovah's Witnesses believed, I don't know if it was worse or better, but it it still left me very, very, uncomfortable to think that 
a person could just vanish. And it was it was a frightening thing. I mean, how people frighten their flocks with threats of going to hell and burning. Well, we were always threatened with just being gone, not existing anymore. You know, life is so precious and so desirable that the fear of death is something that's amazing. It's 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 it, it causes people to do crazy things just because they're afraid to die. Now, I suppose it could be because they're afraid to go to hell. But many people, even though they perhaps weren't taught this by like Jehovah's Witnesses would teach, or Seventh-day Adventists teach this as well. I think they're basically the only group of people that teach this. Herbert Armstrong may have taught this as well. Um, but basically the Advent movement. Jehovah's Witnesses. But I be, I wouldn't be surprised if atheists probably believe this way. You know, that's kind of what probably atheists believe, that when you die, that's it. I think a lot of the elite believe this way. So you realize that Jehovah's Witnesses and Adventists are much more in line with the elite belief. They believe in Jesus, but he's not the divine being. You know, no, no, they go back to the law, the Yahweh and government and all this stuff. So, the Advent Jehovah's Witness Armstrong belief system, sacred names, uh, Hebrew Israelism or whatever, this kind of thinking is literally pretty closely aligned with the elite teachings, or I should say the, the, the Illuminati. They're basically atheists. They don't really believe in a divine almighty because the, the deity they worship, even if they don't realize it, is the devil. It's this hurtful, jealous deity who is the deity of vengeance, who is only going to allow a certain of these royal people, the chosen, to be alive. They're going to have to be the slaves of this deity. He keeps them around to work for him. He doesn't love anyone. He's, you know, the Old Testament doesn't say anything about being that the, the Yahweh is your father. Doesn't say a whole lot about oh, I love you, right? There's not. You don't find in the Old Testament where Yahweh's like oh, I love you. You're my child, and I'm your father, and I would never leave you, and I'm going to offer you eternal life. There's no offer of eternal life in the Old Testament. I find that to be. Crazy. But anyway, back to my story. So I'm out in field service and this guy evidently knows what we believe. And he says, listen, here's why you're wrong. And he showed me this verse in Luke of the rich man and Lazarus. And he was going through this parable about how Jesus said that if you are not saved and you go and you die, then after death, you're in some kind of torture. And I said, well, that's, that's got to be symbolic, of course. But he looked at me, he says, well, what's it symbolic of then? Is this symbolism of suffering after you die? Is this a symbol of going someplace to pay and to suffer? Okay, maybe not literally flames, but maybe the flames represent something. But you're still alive and you're still suffering. That's why the man said, please get me out of here. Send a drop of water down to cool my tongue. 
And at, by the same token, Lazarus was at the table across this chasm, eating with Abraham, dining and, and having the good life in paradise. Is that real or is that a parable? Well, slightly a parable because I doubt whether we're going to sit around a table and eat for the rest of eternity. But it, it's not completely a parable because we're going to have, in other words, the point is we're going to have fellowship with those who were righteous, our parents and our ancestors, those people who, who did what was right and got to go to this place called paradise. right? But the other people that didn't do right they ended up in this place called hell. Now, how in the world, he says, how does this represent complete non-existence? That you're going to die and that's it. You don't pay for anything. I mean, if, if death itself pays for all your sins and you're gone and you don't have to pay anymore, there's no more payment to be made. You've died. And Jesus didn't say that, that the person who, when he died, suffered for a little time and then he was gone but he he said he would be down there forever and as i thought about it i couldn't answer him and i had this other like higher up witness beside me i don't remember i think it was an elder friend of mine and i really couldn't at that moment express my uh feelings that that kind of stumped me and but i know how i felt at the time it's like well don't don't confuse me with anything that might change my mind or don't give me any facts okay i already know what i want to believe i already know this is my family here this elder and i we're buddies this is what we believe i don't know i didn't admit it but i think that's kind of the way it was like well just kind of ignore that because we don't want to rock the boat here. We already got our beliefs. And I was like, well, there's a lot of other scriptures that say that when we die, that's it. We don't have any thoughts, like in Ecclesiastes or, or Job or, or something. Well, I never even thought about it. Nobody ever explained to me that, well, maybe you're missing something there. Because Ecclesiastes and, and, and some of the wisdom literature, if you read it, Solomon says he sought folly and he sought wisdom. And he says, from the point of view of humans on the earth, under the sun, do what your hands find to do with all your might, because there is neither work, nor devising, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in hell, the place to which you're going. So, hey, I don't need to consider that verse more carefully I don't need to weigh how many verses would say something like that as opposed to the many verses that contradict that and if the Bible contradicts itself then I can't believe in the Bible right so therefore I'll just stick to the ones that that I like well as I grew older but you know after I got out of the organization and I rethought all of this it came to my attention, well, first of all, what I thought was odd was that no one else had ever really been able to get out of this mind maze. Like, Jehovah's Witnesses walk up to you and lay that on you, like, oh, okay. Therefore, all of Christianity must be wrong. We've got to go back to the Old Testament and believe that this, when you die, you're done. 
right? Because Solomon said it in some verse. Never really reading it all in context, seeing that that's not even what so what Solomon said, because he said that that who knows whether the spirit of man ascendeth when you die or whether it descends like the beast. Now, I don't know exactly what Solomon was saying there either. But certainly it's not conclusive that Solomon believed that when you die, you did, your spirit didn't leave and ascend. And then, of course, I found out that the last chapter of Ecclesiastes specifically talks about a silver cord that, that attaches to a bowl or a, a house that your spirit leaves. And, and, and it, when that silver cord is broken, then you don't go back into the body. But it's symbolic. And I didn't know about that. I didn't, I didn't know that the, the wisdom literature always starts, starts talking about how Solomon pursued wisdom and he pursued folly. And this is why he says that, that, well, that verse I was just reading you, which is in chapter nine of Ecclesiastes, it's, it basically starts out by saying, I took all this to my heart to search out all this that the righteous ones and the wise ones and their works are in the hand of L. Mankind is not aware of either the love or the hate that were all prior to them. All are the same in what all have. There's one eventuality to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and the clean one and the unclean, the one sacrificing and the one who doesn't sacrifice, the good is the same as the sinner. Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe it's the same for the good as it is for the sinner. I think there's a reward for the good. And elsewhere, Solomon says this too. But notice he's saying from the perspective of someone under the sun. And you can keep going on here. It's the same basic thing. He's saying um, for, for verse 4, in respect to whoever is joined to the living, there exists confidence because a live dog is better off than a dead lion. Okay. For the living are conscious that they will die, but the dead know nothing. Neither do they have any more wages. So he's just saying that all that you do to accomplish our rewards that we get in this life are done in this life. And that's all he's saying. He's not saying that, that what the truth is about after we die. He's saying from under the sun, from that perspective, because, and, and we know he means this because, well, Ecclesiastes, if you read it in context, that's what he's saying. But if you look at the Apocrypha, Solomon also wrote a book called the Book of Wisdom. And if you look in that, he's saying this specifically. He says he pursued folly and he pursued wisdom. So then he goes on to talk about things that are wise and things that are really unwise. And the unwise or the folly is to the one who's under the sun and doesn't know or take account of spiritual things, but from the point of view of a person walking around under the sun. And so then you get to this verse that we just read or we talked about and it says, all the days of your vain life that he's given you under the sun. Well, I don't think life is vain. I don't agree with any of this, what Saul was talking about. This is folly he's pursuing here. This is what somebody would say who is foolish. And he says, all the days of your vanity for that your portion in life and your hard work with which you are working hard under the sun. 
All that your hand finds to do, do it with your power. For there is no work in devising or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. From the perspective of a man walking around on this earth, who's not conscious, who doesn't know what happens to you when you pass away. However, take a note of this. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In verse 1, I said, in my heart, now come, let's try out with rejoicing. Let's see good. Look, that was also vanity. I explored with my heart, cheering my flesh, even with wine. I was leading my heart with wisdom, even to lay hold on folly, until I could see what good there was to come of the sons of men, and that they did these things under the heavens. For the number of the days of their life, I engaged in greater works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens, parks for myself. You know, he did all this stuff. He says, all foolishness and folly because we're all going to die. Well, that's not what Jesus said. So then you go down to chapter 3. And, I mean, every verse, we could read the whole thing to show the context. But chapter 3, verse, uh, let's start with... Uh, Verse 18, chapter 318, I even I have said in mine heart with regard to the sons of men that the divine being is going to select them and that they may see that they themselves are just beasts, just like beasts. For there is the same eventuality, the sons of mankind and the beasts. They have the same eventuality. As one dies, so dies the other. And they all have but one spirit. So that there is no authority or superiority, I should say, of the man over the beast. Everything is vanity. Well, that's certainly not true. I don't believe that. I don't believe anything Solomon is saying here. Because he's speaking folly, as he says. Because he was depressed and he was trying to understand. He couldn't figure it out yet. He didn't have the wisdom yet. This is actually Solomon's story of how he felt before he got the Holy Spirit. This is what he was thinking. From the perspective of someone just wandering around on the earth, he tried wine, he tried building and you know doing all these things, but nothing helped. And then he goes down and he says, verse 20, all are going to the same place and they all have come to be from the dust and they are all going to return to the dust. Who is there knowing the spirit of the sons of man, whether it's ascending upward and the spirit of the beast, whether it descends downward to the earth. So he's saying, look, from the point of view of, of men on the earth, who knows whether we really go and advance upward, right? Or whether we just dissipate into nothing. He says, I didn't know because I didn't have wisdom. You see how important it is to put things in perspective. Now, I, I point that out because as that man was talking to me and showed me that verse of scripture, it stirred in my heart, but I couldn't say anything. I was locked into what I believed. Now, mind you, I was only like about 17 years old. Um, it's not like I harbored this lie, you know, in myself forever. Because it wasn't long after that. I mean, I was seeing all these things as I was going along at that age. They had kind of coerced me into getting baptized because they knew that I was not going to be a good little Jehovah's Witness. They knew what they had done to me. They destroyed my family. And I now know, looking back, that they tried very hard to get me to get baptized, knowing what they were going to do. They were going to get rid of me. They couldn't disfellowship me unless I was baptized. So, as soon as they baptized me, just like a few months, maybe a 
two or three months. They disfellowshipped me. And for nothing. They, they trumped up charges against me. But, so it was right away that I began to really study the scriptures and I went back to that verse and studied it over and over again and realized, man, I don't think I was being taught the truth. I think I was being lied to. Now I say this because I was mentioning this person that was making a comment yesterday. This person is definitely a somebody who, I'll tell you this, I do know this person and we've conversed many times and I have seen her doing the same thing that I did with when I was out in field service that day. She knows that she's got some contradictions in what she's saying, but she doesn't want to admit that to herself. Uh, I have proven that to myself. I've seen her do this. I mean, she's come up with some uh, point that she wants to throw at me to, to try and prove her point. And then when I counter it with something that she can't answer, she just ignores it and it moves on to another point. And then after we go through these all these excuses about why she believes what she's saying is the truth, and I counter each of them, and she can't really fight each of them, then she'll end up going right back, as if she never heard any of the arguments, going right back to where she started, and we start all over again. So, the reason, kind of the reason why I'm doing this video, specifically on her um, arguments, and, and I'm going to counter-argue these points, is because I've done this a hundred times with her. And, and I care about her. I care about everybody. And I believe, I, I feel bad for her because I know she was raised in a, a cult like I was. The cult that she was raised in, from what I understand, was the Herbert W. Armstrong Church of God. They keep all the holy days and all the laws of Moses and worship Yahweh. So, I'm going to do this video for her. And I said what I said it's taken me 20 minutes to say just that because I want to share how a person who gets wrapped up in these kinds of things, why they end up there. They're boxed in, they're deceived, mesmerized, and they can't fight their way out. Now, the fact that she keeps coming and, and, and trying to argue her points with me and evidently keeps listing some of these videos tells me that maybe she's... She's having some doubts, but she needs a little help, guys. So I'm going to do that today. I'm going to go through her little letter or notes that she put, or I won't call it a question because she's not she's not asking me a question other than how can I counter all these arguments. So I'm going to try to do that today. So she starts off by saying, David, with due respect, you present many contradictions in the things that you say. We can't cherry-pick what we want to say and ignore Jesus. Ignore Jesus' commandments. Alright, stop there for a second. How many times have I explained that Jesus didn't teach and I've shown all the proofs. I've done whole videos on the fact that Jesus didn't keep any of the Ten Commandments. And I could spend another hour right now just going over that one point alone. But rather than being focused a little bit more on all these points that I've already shared, such as the fact that Jesus didn't condemn the woman who was caught in adultery, or that he didn't keep the Sabbath, or that he claimed to be 
one with the divine being. I mean, how can you be someone who believes in Yahweh who says that he's the only divine being and there is none else? The Trinity is not taught in the Old Testament. Eternal life is not taught in the Old Testament. Literally, you can't be a Christian and believe in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has sacrifices. It has slavery. It has all these things. The last thing I asked her, well, it wasn't the last thing, but I think about the second to the last thing that I asked her was, if you're going to worship that deity, Yahweh, what is your explanation for him being a jealous deity? And do you believe that you find that comforting? Do you think it's comforting that he's a deity of vengeance and jealousy? And what do you do with the slavery and, and women can never sign a contract or speak up for herself? And if you believe in the Old Testament, I didn't say this, but I'm saying it now. If she does believe in the Old Testament, shouldn't she somehow go be veiled somewhere and sit in a corner? And why is she talking to me? Because women are allowed to talk to men or, or to teach. And yet she feels that she has the authority to do that, to, to go against her own beliefs because she doesn't really then believe in the Old Testament, but yet she's trapped in the view that she does. Very odd to me. So she says, I'm presenting contradictions and yet I'm not really. And I can show that and I will here. But yet she is trapped in many, literally, multitudinous contradictions. So she will not focus on these verses that I pointed out. Your deity is the devil. He's a liar, a murderer. You have one who condemns you, that is Moses. I don't condemn you. All of these things. What kind of a deity? You ask for bread, he gives you serpents. That kind of thing. Your deities from beneath. My deities from above. Your deities of this world. Oh, so your deities of this world. Isn't that what it means then? In the epistles that says that he is the, that the deity of this world is blinding the minds of the unbelievers? So she, in this article, she's going to show that she believes in the book of Revelation because she uses it to prove her point. And yet, if we look at the book of Revelation, it becomes very apparent that John agreed completely with Paul. So, but she'll focus on one or two verses that she can't get out of her head, such as, I came not to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came to fulfill. Until heaven and earth passes away, not one jot or one tittle, and in no ways pass from the law. Well, I pointed this out to her. I've done many videos. I think she says she watches my videos. And if you read that very carefully, he says that the law won't pass away until heaven and earth passes away. And yet Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away. But my words or my covenant will never pass away. So the old covenant is going to pass away like the Apostle Paul says. And therefore Jesus is in complete agreement with Paul who says that that old covenant passes away. It was written on stony tablets which represent your stony heart and it's a dispensation of the worship of angels and we're no longer under any of that old covenant but we're under a new covenant. But she can't see that. But she'll ignore everything I just said 
It doesn't seem to register at all in her. She goes right back to it as her little safe place. And then she's got a couple of more, but let's keep reading. She says, you're teaching a completely different Jesus than those teachings that Jesus brought to us and told his 12. Well, no proof for that statement. But she says that Jesus brought it to us and told his 12 apostles to go out and preach to the nations. There were not 13 apostles. There are not two separate gospels, one for the Jew and another for different one for the Gentiles, as she says. Well, but does she not? Is she not? Are you not familiar, sister, with the this New Testament, and you're quoting scripture, I assume you're kind of familiar with it. So how disingenuous is it to say that Jesus said, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And somehow that means that we're going to teach them the same teachings of Moses. That we're not going to have a new covenant, but we're going to go keep going on with the old covenant. And that you're still going to get saved by works. Well, only Paul says we shouldn't get, you know, remember James says we should have works. James doesn't say that. He says we don't have works of law, but works of charity. So we do have works. Because many were saying, well, we have to keep the law because you've got to have works to prove that you're righteous. And James says, yeah, you're right. We do have to have works that prove we're righteous. But the works of the law are not righteous. Right? That's hypocrisy. And who's going to want to follow a law that says you're a slave? So no, no, no. That was a bondage and a curse. But true works of righteousness is charity and love. And so she probably doesn't see that. But how is it that somebody can keep going back to this kind of thing? Yeah, Jesus said, don't go unto the Gentiles. But then later on, obviously, Peter was told to go to the Gentiles. Peter felt the same way that she feels because Peter was still believing in the old covenant and didn't understand that we're under a new covenant. He couldn't understand this. So he refused to go and preach to the Gentiles. Well, then this he had this vision where he saw all these creeping things and he says, get up and eat. And it was an angel that was trying to correct Peter's thinking and give him this revelation. And so the Lord told Peter, you're wrong about that. I love all people. You just don't understand. And I'm going to reveal all this to you. So then Peter got the vision. And he went to the Gentiles. And he gave Barnabas and Paul the right hand of fellowship. Now, the only way you can get around that is to just say, well, we don't believe in the New Testament. Well, we just believe in the in, in the gospel of Matthew or something. Or, you know, maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Right? Probably couldn't believe in the book of John because that says that Jesus was with the Father from the beginning. Right? And a lot of other things, like Thomas calling Jesus deity and that kind of thing. Now, she probably would cherry pick, as she says I'm doing, John, and she does the book of Revelation, cherry picks it and finds a couple of statements that sounds like maybe, like, like in the book of Revelation where it says, keep my commandments. But it doesn't say, here's my commandments, that's the Ten Commandments. Go, go back to the law of Moses. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you should love one another. That's it. And what does that mean? Well, John himself explains that further, First and Second John, by saying that anybody who 
clothes those people who don't have clothes and feeds the hungry. That is keeping his commandments. Hereby we know that we have love. How? By keeping all the commandments? Going to the synagogue and keeping all the holy days? No, he didn't say that. He said, hereby we know if we have love if we love our neighbor. If we see them hungry and we feed them. So it's the works of charity. Now, I could probably carry on for another hour just about that. But I only want to touch base here. I want to kind of show a process of thought here. Not so much lay all these verses out there, because I believe that she knows these verses. But I want her to start thinking about how her mind is processing all of this. How she's being disingenuous and she's not taking these verses in context. Because she can find a verse in Revelation that says, keep my commandments, but she can't find a verse that says, if you want to have eternal life, keep all the laws of Moses. Or some of the laws of Moses, whatever it is that you think. That somehow by obedience to these laws, I mean, if you're really reading the New Testament and you're careful and your eyes are open and you, and, and you have a pure heart and you're sincere, you would not come away from reading the New Testament saying, oh yeah, the New Testament is just like the Old Testament. We should just keep all these laws. That righteousness comes by keeping all these laws. Keep my commandments. That's what I'm telling you. What does that mean? That we'll all go to hell or we'll all die and, and be gone, if that's what she believes. Like a little wisp of smoke that dissipates into the air. We'll be gone. Because nobody can handle being a slave just because they were born of a certain lineage for eternity. Nobody would want that. That would not be joy or happiness. So when Jesus comes along and calls all these Pharisees hypocrites because they think that by keeping the law they're saved and that these prostitutes and drunkards and all these gluttons are all filthy and disgusting and and, and those people who are not baptized and circumcised and don't keep all the, you know, the ceremonial cleansings that they're supposed to carry out and don't keep all the laws. These dang Gentiles are, are, are unclean. And Jesus very clearly condemned that kind of thinking. So let's say for a minute she's right, that may, maybe she's thinking that, well, the Judeans were all apostate because they kept law but they did it from the wrong purposes. What Jesus is trying to say, we should have a good heart and keep the law because we love the Lord. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of problems with that because the Lord Yahweh doesn't ever say he loves us. He's not our father. He doesn't give us eternal life. And if you offend in one point, you're going to offend in all and therefore the ultimate end of all human beings, we all fall short of the glory of perfection. We all make mistakes. Therefore, we're all going to be punished. So that wouldn't work. So when Jesus said, yeah, it's the heart, that's what really matters. And righteousness doesn't come by means of law. Paul says, but she doesn't like Paul. But Jesus said the same thing. And Jesus said, cleanse the inside of the cup, not the outside. So, But maybe she's thinking, well, if we cleanse the inside of the cup and we have a good heart, then we'll keep the law anyway. Yeah, then we'll go out and 
and, and genocide the nations because we got a good heart now. Oh yeah, now we'll take our wife and put her under some contract and tell her she can't speak. Oh yeah, and uh, we'll have a bunch of concubines and we'll just use them for breeding. What kind of a world is this? And we'll have slavery and, well, you know, how many times have I pointed out that Exodus 21.7 says that when you sell your daughter as a slave, she'll never go free. Not like other men slaves who can work off their, like Hebrew men could become slaves to work off debt. But after the end of the time that they worked to pay off the debt, they got to go free. But Hebrew women slaves never could become free. They were sold. And there is no other place in the Old Testament that describes what marriage is other than that. And we see Jacob working to pay Laban working for Rachel and Leah. We see Isaac working and purchasing Rebekah. We see that this is exactly what marriage was. They didn't even have the word marriage. They simply had this thing where they got concubines and handmaidens and they bred them. And if they didn't do what they were told, they could be beaten. Does she want to do this? Did Jesus teach this? I don't think if you look at the context, that's not what Jesus is saying. How many times did Jesus have to say, oh my goodness, you people are, are hypocrites. Right? You don't understand what righteousness is. Love. My father is love. I don't condemn you. My father doesn't condemn you. No, don't stone the adulterer. Don't keep the Sabbath. No. We're all the divine. I mean, the very fact that Jesus said, I and the father are one, completely disproves the Old Testament covenant. The Old Covenant. As being anywhere uh, close to being any righteousness. You know, genociding the nations proves that the Old Covenant was not, did not come from a righteous deity. And this is exactly why Jesus said, your father is the devil and a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And remember, Yahweh wouldn't give mankind the tree of life. He ran him out in his wrath, said, you'll know wise. In his wrath, he said, you'll never enter into my rest. And yet, Jesus comes and offers us the tree of life and the waters of life. I mean, there was a woman sitting by a well. She'd had five husbands. She should have been put to death under the law. And the man she was with then wasn't even her husband. And Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you eternal waters that bubbles up into your belly into eternal life. Why is Jesus giving these people eternal life if they're sinners? Oh, well, you got to keep the law. But you see, evidently this woman repented. So therefore, Jesus gave her eternal life because she just on the spot repented. Or, or Jesus knew her heart. That's what it was. No, what Jesus was trying to do was tell us that you were a, a slave in bondage to your husband. Five husbands, five books of Torah. But I'm going to give you eternal life. You don't, you shouldn't be with that man. That man's got you in some sort of bondage, a bondage and a curse. That's what Jesus taught. But let me read on what she says here. She says, there were not 13 apostles. So she's trying to say Paul couldn't have been an apostle. Well, didn't, even in the Gospels that she, I guess, believes in, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I don't know if she believes in John. She probably says she does. But doesn't it say that when Judas died, they 
drew lots to see who would replace him. So there were 13 apostles, weren't there? And there's nothing saying that there wouldn't be others added to that if as people died or whatever. We don't know if perhaps one of the apostles had died and Paul took his place. I don't think so. Because we know that it tells us in other verses of scripture that Barnabas and Paul were sent forth. They were apostles. It tells you that in the book of Acts. Now, to throw out all the epistles of Paul, all you would have left is the four gospels and John and Peter. Well, the problem is, is that Peter endorses Paul in second Peter and James endorses Paul and John. Well, first of all, let's say you wanted to throw out the book of Acts because it promotes Paul because the book of Acts certainly does. It says that that James and John and Peter had gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship and that they met at Jerusalem and had a council and determined that Paul was correct, that we're not under the law. So let's say we're going to throw out the book of Acts. Well, then you're going to have to throw out the book of Luke because it was Luke who wrote the book of Acts. So you're going to have to throw out the book of Luke. Well, Luke is almost exactly like the book of Mark. Guess what? Read the story in the book of Acts and you can find, even in Peter's writings, corroboration. But Paul's companion was both Luke and Mark. Now, there was a time when Mark stopped following Paul. You can determine from reading the New Testament that Mark was a relative of Peter. And there was a short period of time when Peter thought Paul was wrong, and that's when the Holy Spirit corrected Peter. And they had to correct Mark as well. But once Mark understood that the gospel was to go into the Gentiles, he went back and he followed Paul. And so the story of the life of Jesus in the gospels was written by a man who was with Jesus during his ministry, which is Peter. So the book of Mark is the story of Jesus's life from the knowledge that Peter gave him because they were relatives. But the same person, Mark, was a follower, companion of Paul and a fellow companion with Luke. And so therefore, you'd have to throw out the entire New Testament, the whole gospel and all the epistles and the books of Peter. And what would you have left? Not very much. You have nothing to base a new covenant on or anything to believe in Jesus at all if you throw out the New Testament. So then she says, Paul brings much and had brought much confusion to the church over 2,000 years. Okay, a lot of statements here, but nothing really to prove what she's saying. But I get, I get her, her drift. She says, causing division from the very first century, when those who were adherents to the Pauline theology and doctrine became the foundation and cornerstone of the Catholic Orthodox Church, and dominated Christianity for now 2,000 years. Well, where would she come up with this? Well, this comes from Herbert Armstrong. This is what he taught. And he did teach a doctrine about Simon Magus, who was a bad guy, and that is the... But I, I'm a little confused because 
I don't believe, first of all, Herbert Armstrong didn't believe in Paul. I think he did believe in Paul. He just didn't interpret Paul the way most Christians do. But what Herbert Armstrong taught was that the Catholic Church came from the Simon Magus, not from Paul. So she's been reading some other ideas and books and she's come to this conclusion. But here's the problem with that. She hasn't changed her beliefs. She still believes like Herbert Armstrong in that. She believes in the Holy Days. She believes in the Sabbath. She believes in keeping the law. When she was younger, evidently, when she was a, a member of the Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong, she believed this way and she believed in Paul. And so she would go into all the epistles of Paul and interpret them to mean that we're still to keep the law. Oh, well, of course Paul doesn't teach against the law. And every place that Paul says we're not under law, they just, well, that's not what he meant. I mean, I've read Herbert Armstrong, and he definitely believed in Paul. He had a way to explain everything that Paul said. And so if she had been a member of the Church of God, and the apostle, they called him an apostle, Herbert Armstrong, and she believed in him at that time, then she was interpreting all these letters again the way she wanted to because that's what she was indoctrinated. She believed in the law. So she just had no problem interpreting Paul's letters that way. But evidently she got more awoke or read some books as she when she got out of the organization of Herbert Armstrong and realized she couldn't do that, that Paul didn't teach the law. That Paul definitely did teach we're not under law. And she, she woke up and she realized this. Hmm, what are we going to do? Are we going to start believing what the Apostle Paul was saying? Because it's obvious he doesn't believe in the law. Well, here's what we'll do. We'll just throw Paul out. See, so so we want to have our cake and eat it too. If If we're going to take Paul, we'll just interpret it that he believes in the law. But if we don't want Paul, or if we find out that Paul does believe that we're not under law, then we'll just throw Paul out. You see how convenient this is? One minute, it's like saying, well, um, I believe in the law, right? But I'm a Christian, and I think the New Testament teaches that we should keep the law. And then somebody proves to you the New Testament doesn't teach that we're under law, and they're like, well, then I just throw out the New Testament, and I'll just go back to the Old Covenant. That's kind of what she's done, because she's thrown out the New Testament. I know she says, no, she still believes in Jesus, but how do you believe in Jesus if Paul wrote all the epistles, wrote and is condoned by Peter, so we can't have the, the apostles, epistles of Peter either, and you can't use the book of Acts, because that was written by Paul's companion Luke, and you can't read the Gospels, because that was written by Mark, who was a companion of Paul. And if anybody can read all the epistles, and all the Gospels, and come to the conclusion that all of this is made up and forged, but somewhere there's a line somewhere in the book of Matthew that you believe that says Jesus came and was the Messiah. You believe that. like. But the rest of the book of Mark and Luke and Acts and all the epistles, we don't believe in that. And that darn Peter, you know, condoning Paul, right? Our beloved brother Paul, who wrote in some of his writings things that are hard to be understood, which the ungodly are twisting to their own destruction. If you're twisting Paul's writings, you're doing it to your own destruction. 
especially since the Apostle Peter tells you that. And that was one of the original apostles of Jesus. And you believe in Jesus and you believe in those 12 apostles, you say. And that's the gospel. So if you don't believe in the gospel from Peter's own mouth, that Paul is teaching it and those who twist Paul's writings are doing it to their own destruction, all you can do is say, well, maybe there's a place in Peter where it was interpolated. That Peter didn't really write that. Some Somebody wrote that years after he died, right? Well then, if you do that, you can say that anything in the Bible that you don't like must have been interpolated and we don't go by that. You only go by the verses that you like. We throw out all the ones you don't like, which is like just mix and match. There's probably some verses in Paul's epistles that you would like, right? You keep some of those. But the ones you don't like, you just throw them out. You know, we like the, what Peter says. I mean, look, Peter says a lot of stuff that would contradict what you're saying. And so did James and so did John. But you're just mixing and matching and contradicting. But you've got to open your eyes to see that you're doing this. And this is why I'm making this video. Not to humiliate you because I'm not going to use your name here. But I do believe that I should do this on this video and counter each of your arguments here in this particular message you sent yesterday. Simply because I don't know how many years now you've been watching my videos and you keep going over these same points over and over again and you're putting up these arguments on my channel. And somebody on my channel might read what you're saying and be deceived. So therefore I have to I'm obligated to counter these arguments. Now, I could have just deleted it, but I left it up because other people are commenting. And I wanted to have a chance to counter these arguments, so here I am doing it. But you continue to say, causing division from the very first century when those who were adherents to the Pauline theology and doctrine became the foundation of the cornerstone of the Catholic Orthodox Church and dominated Christianity for 2,000 years. Where do you think it originated? The Pope, the fish god, and the reformers, and Martin Luther, and Protestantism never went back to the original church that the apostles formed. True, you're right. And the original church was Gnostic. They weren't Judaistic. The early church believed that Yahweh was the Demiurge, friends, Paul believes Yahweh was the Demiurge and said that Judaism was the worship of angels. It's the same teaching. Pauline Christianity is early Christianity. Marcion was a disciple of Paul, somebody you'll mention here in a moment. And it was Catholics that became apostate and started condemning people who believed in these actual original teachings of Christianity. So it's not just going to do to just make statements like this because you haven't done enough research to find that all of these mystery schools, early Christianity, Ebionites, Essenes, did not agree with what you're teaching. And Herbert Armstrong said that his church came down through the Cathars and if you get in your history book and look at who the Cathars were, they were, like Albigensians and Waldensians, they were Gnostic believers who did not believe that Jehovah was the true deity, but was the devil.
So, they never went back to the church that the apostles formed. No, they didn't. That's why we're still under this apostasy that believes in Yahweh and all these laws, like you're believing. You're more like a Catholic than early Christians. You, by going back to Yahweh and the law, you're going back to the Old Covenant. There's just so much in the New Testament and all the parables of Jesus talk about this and how we shouldn't do this. And so Jesus talked about in the latter days, people would say, where is your promised presence? And they would end up going back and drinking with the confirmed drunkards and the gluttons. And that drinking is that covenant, that old covenant, Judaism. They were the drunkards and the gluttons. And their their little meal that they they had, their Passover and all their holy days, Jesus said was not what we are to do, but and don't go back to that covenant. Because the people that Jesus was describing in the parable that go back and start eating and drinking with the confirmed drunkards are the ones who beat their fellow servants. What does that mean? It means that they judge their brother. They punish them. They're under law. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. All you got to do is confess your sins one to another and he's faithful in order to forgive us. We don't get punished, right? How many times shall we forgive, Lord? 70 times 7. If you don't believe in that, you don't believe in the gospel and it's not good news. So you say that they never went back to the original church that the apostles formed where they followed the traditional teachings of Judaism. The original church followed the, the teachings of Judaism according to her. And they kept the Sabbath and traditional seven annual Sabbath festivals. But they erred in their ways by following the teachings of Paul to hate the law whom the church has called a curse. Yes, indeed, but it's not the, the, the false church that calls it a curse. Yeah, Paul calls it a curse. But the Old Testament itself admits that it is a curse. And Jehovah speaks blessings and cursings. Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is right straight from the law itself. From Yahweh's own Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 28 starting with verse 15. But it shall come to pass. If thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of Jehovah. Of the Elohim. To observe to do all his commandments. And his statutes. Which I command thee this day. That all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shall thou be in the city, and cursed shall thou be in the field. Cursed shall thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of the body and the fruit of the land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shall thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shall thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou dost settest thine hand unto for to do until thou be destroyed and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me, the Lord Yahweh shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until he have consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. For Jehovah shall smite thee with a consumption with a fever, with an inflammation, with an extreme burning, with a sword, 
and with a blasting and with a mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. And the Lord Jehovah shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From the heaven shall come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. For Jehovah shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth and thy carcasses shall be meat under the fowls of the air and under the beasts of the earth and no man shall fray them away. And Jehovah will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emroids and with the scab and with the itch and wherefore thou canst not be healed. And Jehovah will smite thee with madness and blindness and astonishment of the heart. And thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in the darkness. And thou shalt not prosper in thy ways. And thou shalt only be oppressed and spoiled forevermore. And no man shall save thee. Not even Jesus? Oh no, not according to Jehovah. Thou shalt betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house and thou shalt not dwell therein. Thou shalt plant a vineyard, and shalt not gather the grapes thereof. Thine ox shall be slain before thine eyes. Thou shalt not eat thereof. Thine ass shall be violently taken away from before thy face, and shall not be restored to thee. Thy sheep shall be given unto thy enemies. Thou shalt have none to rescue them. Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto other and other people, and thine eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all day long. And there shall be no might in thy hand. The fruit of thy land and all of the labors shall a nation which thou knowest not eat it up. And thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed always. So that thou shalt be mad for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and the legs and a sore botch that cannot be healed. From the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head the Lord shall bring thee and thy king which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, and there shalt they serve other gods, wood and stone, and thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, for the locust shall come and consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all the coast, but thou shalt not anoint thyself with oil. For thine olive oil shall cast its fruit. Thou shalt beget sons and daughters, but thou shalt not enjoy them. For thou shalt go into captivity. All the trees and the fruit of the land shall be locusts consumed. And the stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee, and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of Jehovah thy God, to keep his commandments and his statues which he commanded thee. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder, and upon thy seed forever. You know, Ellen White talked about the Sabbath being a sign that you keep all these laws. And the book of Revelation says you'll put the mark upon your hand or your forehead. Well, Deuteronomy says the law of Moses was to be written on your hand or your forehead as a sign that you are cursed. 
that you worship government, that you worship the beast. But Christians, we get the seal of the living deity, the Holy Spirit, love in our hearts. We don't need laws because we follow after love. And when we make mistakes, we're forgiven. But in the Old Testament, under this old covenant that you're under, if you don't serve Jehovah, absolutely, and be a slave, which you don't want to do, I'm sure, you know, here you are trying to teach me, and I'm a man, and I have no problem with that. Jesus had no problem with that. But your deity does. And so because you've done this, you're in a heap of trouble. Because this deity, with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. Is that what you want? There's only one way to be delivered from the wrath that's coming. And that's to believe in Jesus and receive his grace. And those who refused to receive the love of the truth that they might be saved, delivered from the wrath to come, they'll get the strong delusion. They'll get the bowls of wrath from Yahweh. They'll get the punishment that they will receive because they kept the law and wouldn't receive the grace. They, didn't, they wouldn't believe in Jesus and get the new covenant. But they want to go back to the old covenant and beat their fellow servants and eat and drink with the old covenant drunkards. For the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far away, from the ends of the earth, as a swift as an eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, and which shall not regard the persons of the old, nor show favor to the young, and he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee corn or wine or oil, or the increase of thy kind or the flocks of the sheep, until he has destroyed thee. And ye shall besiege thee in all the gates, and until the high and the fence walls come down, wherein thou trustedest thou throughout all thy land. And he shall besiege thee in the gates, and throughout all the land which the Lord Jehovah thy deity hath given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, and the flesh of thy sons, and of thy daughters. Did you hear this? And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body. Yeah, the fruit of your body, which is the flesh of your sons and your daughters, which Jehovah hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee, so that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave, so that he will not give to them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he hath nothing left from the siege. And in the straightness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in the gates, the tender and delicate woman among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness. Her eyes shall be evil toward her husband, the husband of her bosom, and toward her son, and toward her daughter. Is this the predicament that you're going to be in, ma'am? Because you refuse to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? And toward her young one that cometh down out from between her feet, and toward her children, which she shall bear, for she shall eat them. I ain't going to read any more of this. It's disgusting. But you've got to understand that the curse is real, my friend. And I am not being malicious. I'm not intentionally trying to frighten you or anyone else. And this is not just for one particular 
person, but for anyone who is not yet understanding that we must receive Christ in order to be saved and we must reject the old covenant and stop beating our fellow servants and stop judging one another because you see what I just read is what's about to happen. This is the, what the Bible calls the great tribulation or the wrath that's coming. And unless we're in Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ. And to those who are Christians, we're not appointed unto the wrath. Revelation chapter 3 says, He'll keep us from the hour of trial that is to be coming upon the entire world. So we're not going to have to go through this. But if you reject Jesus, like Paul says, that guy you don't like, Paul, they rejected the love of the truth that they might be delivered. And so he'll allow this strong delusion to go unto them. And this is what's going to happen. And this is why I'm telling you this. I'm hoping with all my heart that one person who had previously not got it might somehow open their eyes and see that they must stop this and turn to Christ. Because this is not some threat. This is not Jesus' threats. Oh, Jesus is trying to threaten us and if we have to worship him. No, Jehovah is trying to threaten you. And Jehovah is going to do all this to you if you don't do everything he says. And you can't. There is no way out of this unless we simply trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The free gift of salvation. All we got to do is trust in him and love him. So why should we have to do that? Because if you're under the old covenant, you're a hypocrite. You're trying to force other people to do what some law says they got to do or, or you're not going to love them. You're going to shun them or you're going to hate them. Okay, that's what Yahweh does. He hates people. He's the deity of jealousy. And you never answered me when I asked you, what do you do with that? Your deity is the deity whose name is Jealous a deity of vengeance. How can you deal with that that you've never answered me? And when I asked you to show me proof that Paul was a Herodian, an Edomite, you never did get back to me to show me where that scripture is. Because you keep throwing these things out there just willy-nilly. You're not being honest. And it's important that I hold you to the fire in order to hopefully snatch you out of the fire. I want you to see the fire. I want you to see what you're doing. Because I do love you. It's my obligation to warn you about these things that are coming. Because we love you and we don't want you to be foolish. And start treating other people. If you don't forgive others, then you can't be forgiven. So. Then. It continues on here. I know we're over an hour, but I want to finish reading what you said. You simply cannot follow Jesus if you don't acknowledge his Jewish roots and heritage and his commands. We've already discussed that. And you've ignored where I've shown that there are 12 tribes and Jesus was also from Joseph. Remember, the New Testament tells us that Jesus was a Galilean and all of his disciples 
And like Josh pointed out the other day in one of his videos, that the only one of these 12 disciples that was from Judea was Judas, who betrayed him. But going on, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We've covered that. And my commandments are not grievous. No, they're not. Because they're not about slavery and, and, and genocide and, and death. Right? And raping women in other countries after you kill their husbands. They're not grievous because there are love. Two different commandments. Right? The Old Testament says, hate your enemies. Jesus says, I tell you to love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Right? There will come the day when those who will come up to him and say, but didn't I cast out demons in your name and heal the sick? And he rebukes them and tells them to go away from me. I never knew you. That's very true. Why? Because they were trying to keep commandments and didn't have love. They were hypocrites. The ones that aren't grievous, remember? Just confess your sins and he forgives you. So, didn't I cast out demons in your name and heal the sick and he rebukes them and tells them to go away. He never knew them. You say, Jesus came not but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. My sheep hear my voice. Well, that's not true. Jesus told Peter to go unto the Gentiles. Jesus never taught the gospel that Paul taught, nor that the apostles taught that Jesus told them to go preach. And that's not true. Jesus nor the 12 apostles ever knew of any Paul character until Paul said of his own volition, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus in the wilderness, no less, teaching in the name of Jesus, who warned us of such a thing, who was the false apostle spoken of in Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus discussed that the church of Ephesus rejected and turned away. Well, you can't prove that. And I'm not sure what you're talking about. But you've got some, sounds like some heresies or opinions like we talked about the other day. That's what heresy means. It means your own private interpretation and opinions. But you've got, you've got to really give us evidence for that. You can't just, you know, say something like that and pretend that that's good enough because that's not, you don't build your entire faith on that and just ignore all the other things we've been talking about. So, and all of the Asia turned away from the teachings of Paul as well as the Ebionites who despised Paul and said he was a heretic and an apostate. Well, yeah, at some point they did and Paul himself admits that. Many of them had turned away because they wanted to go back to Judaism. This is why Paul fought valiantly that the grace of the Lord might remain with us and thank goodness it has. And he got the right hand of fellowship, him and Barnabas, with Peter, James, and John. So we're supposed to follow Jesus and only his teachings, I agree. And traditions, I agree. Which his apostles, like Peter, gave us. And in Peter, he tells us to follow Paul, that Paul's teachings are hard to be understood and the unjust and the unsteady are twisting to their own destruction. So pay attention to the Apostle Peter. Not some Greco-Roman esoteric Marxianite Simonian Gnostic sect of pagan teachings. This is what you are teaching. Well, prove it. Prove that the early church taught Judaism. You know, what are you saying? Then why did they crucify Jesus if he was just another rabbi? Uh, didn't they crucify him for claiming to be one with the divine? Isn't that blasphemy according to the Old Testament? Uh, do you believe in the virgin birth? That's pagan. That's not in the Old Testament. 
Do you believe in life after death? Because the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't believe in this. They believed in the Old Testament, which didn't believe in this. So, it says we are supposed to test those who come in the name of Jesus and teach false doctors, and that includes Paul and yourself. Okay, so we're supposed to test Jesus too? Well, that's the point. They all tested Jesus and the apostles in the first century. And Christianity won. And the Spirit is what testifies of these things. But you don't have the Holy Spirit. You're under the law. Your mind is under a delusion. So, didn't you say a few videos back to tear down the houses of those who dare to teach the law? When Jesus himself declared those who teach the law will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and those who teach against it will be the least in the kingdom. That is a direct statement to you as well, David. Think about it. Well, if you mean that we're supposed to teach genocide and slavery and all of that stuff that we've enumerated, then I'm sorry, I don't want any part of it. However, if you mean to teach that the law condemns everybody and we must get out of this world and follow Jesus, then I agree. And when this heaven and earth passes away, so will the commandments, every jot and tittle, but Jesus' words and his covenant will never pass away. And then you continue, Jesus never gave up his Judaism heritage and it was he who wrote the law. Well, huh, I don't think so. And you can't prove that. And you say it was he, the divine one, who administered it directly on Mount Sinai to Moses, not the heavenly angels or the elemental spirits that administered the law to Moses. That's some bull <clears throat> shite that Paul made up and pulled out of his B-U-T. Well, at least you admit that the New Testament, the epistles of Paul, the New Testament teaches what I'm saying. So I didn't pull it out of my, you know, what? But I got it from the scriptures, the new covenant, which you have re evidently rejected, my dear. And it's very serious to just, you know, voila, decide that you're not going to believe in the New Testament. And you're going to go back to the old covenant. And you admit that there is a new covenant, but you've rejected it. And you fulfill the scripture, which says they've rejected the love of the truth that they might be saved. And it's very sad. And everyone who ignores that statement by Paul as though it never happened, Galatians 3.19, is a lie from hell, made up probably by Marcion. Well, Galatians 3.19 is where Paul says that the law was given to us by angels and is done away. And so what you're doing here for all to see is that you're saying that I'm right, that I'm interpreting the New Testament correctly, that it does say what I've been saying in Galatians and in the epistles and corroborated by Peter and John that we're not under any law and that it, the law was given by angels. What you're saying then in bold, literally black and white, is that the New Testament is a lie and you want to go back to the Old Testament and you have that right. And all I can do is tell you to please reconsider. Think about it carefully because if you choose the old covenant of genocide and hate, then you're going to be under that curse that's in that Old Testament. So maybe you should at least see, you know, check it a little bit more to make sure. But maybe Jesus, who says he loves you, 
And he's going to save you and give you his grace if you just listen and choose it. Maybe, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you should reconsider. That's all I'm saying. So, he made it up probably. And as you say, who taught Simonianism from the teachings of the sorcerer? That's Simon the Magus. Simon Magus, who wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. Yes, he did do that. And perhaps a lot of bad, you know, sects and teachings came from Simon Magus. I have no disagreements with you there. And Christians have bought this lie. No, Christians don't follow Simon Magus. Hook, line, and sinker, even when it's clearly not true. And we all know the story of Moses on Mount Sinai when it was God who wrote the Ten Commandments on tables of stone and told Moses what to do with them. Well, it was Yahweh. And early Christians actually believed that Yahweh was the Demiurge, Yaldabaoth, the devil. And as we've shown in John 8, 44, that Jesus also agreed. And you say, anyhow, I digress. I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, so I have no dog in that race. But Jesus did say that the Holy Spirit would give us all truth. And his truth is written in the words of Jesus and his apostles. But ma'am, you don't believe in the apostles. You don't believe in Paul. And you don't believe in Peter. And you don't believe in Mark and Luke. So you don't believe in the New Testament. Not through Paul's teachings, nor any esoteric or Gnostic mystery religions. Well, huh, Paul taught the mysteries, as you probably know. And these exact same words that Paul gives in all of his epistles are the same exact teachings that Peter gives and James and John. For anyone who has eyes to see, the book of John starts off, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with the divine, and the word was divine, the logos. This is a Gnostic teaching taught in the very Gnostic scriptures that we still have today. But anyway, it's, it's, I'm going to have to close here. I mean, I'm way, way, way over an hour, but I wanted to get all of your words in and read them and counter them so that hopefully you'll reconsider this because I do care about you and all those who are under this delusion. I really do. And if you have any questions, any of you who might be still confused about this, I'm always here and I'm happy to answer any questions the best I can. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and go. I hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.